Amen. Thank you for that. Psalm 72 this morning, please. Psalm 72. Uh, Several months back, somebody had written me a note in asking about this psalm. And somehow I had put the note with some other material and quite honestly just kind of forgot about the note and was going through some other stuff and found it and thought I need to answer this and I also need to preach through a psalm and so here we are. Let's go ahead and stand please. Psalm 72, a psalm for Solomon. Give the king thy judgments, O God, and thy righteousness unto the king's son. He shall judge thy people with righteousness and thy poor with judgment. The mountains shall bring peace to the people and the little hills by righteousness. He shall judge the poor of the people. He shall save the children of the needy and shall break in pieces the oppressor. They shall fear thee as long as the sun and moon endure throughout all generations. He shall come down like rain upon the mown grass as showers that water the earth. In his day shall the righteous flourish in abundance of peace so long as the moon endureth. He shall have dominion also from sea to sea and from the river unto the ends of the earth. The way they that dwell in the wilderness shall bow before him, and his enemies shall lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish and of the isles shall bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba shall offer gifts. Yea, all kings shall fall down before him, all nations shall serve him. For he shall deliver the needy when he crieth, the poor also, and him that hath no helper. He shall spare the poor and the needy, and shall save the souls of the needy. He shall redeem their soul from deceit and violence, and precious shall be their, shall their blood be in his sight. And he shall live, and to him shall be given the gold of Sheba. Prayer also shall be made for him continually, <clears throat> and daily shall he be praised. There shall an handful of corn and the earth upon the top of the mountain. The fruit thereof shall shake like Lebanon, and they of the city shall flourish like the grass of the earth. His name shall endure forever. His name shall be continued as long as the sun and men shall be blessed in him. All nations shall call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only doeth wondrous things. And blessed be his glorious name forever. And let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. And let's pray. Father, may we urge upon you that this day would soon come. Your kingdom has been the subject of almost every Bible writer. It has been the desire of all of your people. And every day that passes is one day closer to the glorious kingdom of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we pray that it would come. Teach us your word 
Encourage us in your imminent arrival. We pray your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may, of course, be seated. Well, let me begin this morning by addressing a little bit of the technicality and the complication that surrounds this psalm right at the outset. Reading, of course, from the King James Bible, I read it as it is found in the King James Bible, a psalm for Solomon. If you're reading the ESV, or I would assume any of the other more modern language versions, it says, of Solomon. Is this a psalm for Solomon or a psalm by Solomon? And the reality is that the grammatical expression can go either way, which is one of the reasons that there's some debate about it. Critical to that discussion is what you do with verse number 20. Our translators, of course, are treating it as the end of the psalm. And so to them, and I think that they're right, but I am far from a technical expert. Their position is that this is a psalm for Solomon by David, and we get to verse number 20, that's the end of it. But again, equally valid, and I'm just talking about some of the technicalities surrounding the psalm. Psalm 72 is the last psalm in what is called Book 2 of the Psalms. The Psalms are divided into five books. 150 psalms divided into five books. Book 2 is Psalms 42 through 72. And many good people then would interpret verse number 20 as a summary of the entire book, 42 to 72. Each of the book ends with some form of doxology, as we have here, And the belief is that the Psalms were divided into five books to mirror the Pentateuch, which was also five books. So again, depending upon the notes you might have, depending upon the translation you might be using, depending upon your own understanding, you're going to view Psalm 72 as a psalm by David about Solomon or a psalm by Solomon about his son, probably Rehoboam. The truth is, whichever man is writing it and whichever son it is for does not substantially impact the psalm. So we can look at it, we can talk about it, we can wonder about it, we can perfectly come to our understanding of it, but the the nature of the psalm is unfazed. Unlike, for instance, Psalm 110, where you have to get the people right or you cut the heart of the psalm away. This psalm is equally powerful, whether it's David writing about Solomon or Solomon writing about Rehoboam. 
what begins as, and, and one of the reasons, by the way, that some people argue that verse number 20 is the summary statement of the entire book of Psalms is because there really are not a lot of prayers in the 20 verses of Psalm 72. What begins as a prayer for a human son, which I think occupies verses 1 through 4, quickly becomes a contemplation of the greater king, the Lord Jesus Christ. Much as when you turn to the New Testament book of Jude, and Jude begins by saying, I, you know, I really wanted to talk to you about our common salvation. But things are so bad, and false prophets are so many, and they are so ungodly that, that I have to talk about that instead. So that we have this beautiful little scenario in which a king, whether it be David or Solomon, prays over his successor, whether it be Solomon or Rehoboam, and asks the Lord to make him a certain kind of king, which again then quickly transitions into a contemplation about the kind of king that God is. More specifically, what kind of God, king, I'm sorry, what kind of king Jesus is. It is clearly a messianic psalm. It is clearly oriented around the future Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is clearly anticipating him sitting on his throne being the king. And I think we'll see that that becomes obvious that it is highly unlikely, if not impossible, that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God would have a human father say certain things about a human son as are found in this psalm. So again, much of the psalm is actually declarative. A father praying for his son. And that's where we will begin. But what the king, what the king and I think David, prays for Solomon is most certainly true of Christ. The first four verses are clearly a prayer. And they are a prayer that the next king would reign in righteousness. And folks, one of the major dominant themes, one of the major characteristics and attributes of the kingdom of Jesus Christ is that it will be a kingdom of righteousness. True righteousness. Let's go back and look again at the song. Give to the king... Give the king thy judgments, O God, and thy righteousness unto the king's son. It's really an amazing sentiment that this godly father, again, David or Solomon, wishes for his son not to be like him, but to be like God. Be like God. This is my prayer that you would be like the Lord. That you would make right decisions. That's what the word judgment means. That the decisions that he makes are right. And that the attributes that govern them are righteousness. That's what's meant by righteousness. 
that from the position of righteousness, you will make right decisions. The decisions that God would make. He shall judge thy people with righteousness, verse 2, and thy poor with judgment. The mountains shall bring peace to the people and the little hills by righteousness. A poetic expression that means there will be justice everywhere. One of the things, folks, that will characterize the kingdom of Christ is that righteousness will extend into every nook and cranny of it. And because there is righteousness, there is peace. Verse 3, the mountains shall bring peace to the people and the little hills by righteousness. In our world, we want to have unrighteousness and peace. And the truth, folks, is that you can have one but not both. If you have unrighteousness, there will not be peace. And you will only have peace with righteousness. Cannot cannot be the way men want it. Now we insist upon, we don't insist upon unrighteousness, we insist upon the right to define righteousness as we see fit, which makes it unrighteousness, and everywhere that it abounds, there is not peace, but violence and oppression and misery. Verse number four, he shall save the poor, judge the poor of the people, he shall save the children of the needy, and shall break in pieces the oppressors. Righteousness and justice will extend to every nook and cranny of his kingdom, every remote geographical spot, every island, every continent. And it will extend to all people. The poor and needy will receive it and the oppressor will be destroyed. And I would just point out to you folks that in our modern world, these two concepts get lots of political use. A Roman senator once observed that the rich do what they will while the poor suffer what they must. Sometimes it seems as if we live in that world. The rich and powerful do what they will and we suffer what they must. But a medieval bishop once observed that the poor are a gold mine. You can gain a lot of political clout by promising to help the poor. Some people think the rich are always wrong. Some people think the poor are always right. But God is just. Let me just read to you. You do not need to turn to it. Exodus 23.1 Thou shalt not raise a false report. Put not thine hand with the wicked to an unrighteous witness. Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. Neither shalt thou speak in a cause to decline after many to rest judgment. Neither shalt thou countenance a poor man in his cause. You're not righteous because you're poor. You're not wrong just because you're rich. You're not corrupt and abusive just because you're a big business. You're corrupt and abusive because you're corrupt and abusive. Not because you're size. The righteousness of Christ will be the norm of the kingdom. 
And it will be, folks, not an imaginary righteousness, not a righteousness invented by men, but a righteousness that exists in accordance with God's standard. Beginning in verse number 5, then, you can already see that the king, in his prayer for his son, is thinking along very godly lines in verses 5 through 7. Again, under the inspiration of the Spirit, again, thinking originally about his own transition in the kingdom, he contemplates that the kingdom of the Messiah will be a kingdom that endures. Verse number 5, They shall fear thee as long as the sun and moon endure throughout all generations. He shall come down like rain upon the mown grasses, showers that water the earth. In his day shall the righteous flourish and abundance of peace as long as the moon endureth. Passages of time. The idea of fear in the passage, they shall fear thee as long as the sun and moon endure, is godly fear, the the kind of reverential awe that a child is supposed to have for their parent. Hopefully at some point in time in your childhood, if you thought about doing something, you were restrained by the thought that your parents would kill you if you got caught. Fear. Fear. They were just simply things that I thought about doing that I didn't do, not out of love and not out of devotion and not out of righteousness, but simply out of the fact that if my parents caught me, they'd kill me. And there is a beautiful poetical expression of his reign. And this is one of the reasons, I, you can turn to it if you want, 2 Samuel 23.1, but this is one of the reasons that I really think that our translators have it right, that it is a prayer for Solomon from David. Son, you're going to be the king in my place. Here's what I pray for you. And David, of course, always, so often, always turning his attention to the Lord. Now, these be the last words of David, the son of Jesse. The man who raised up on high the anointed of God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel, said, The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. The God of Israel said, The rock of Israel spake to me, He that ruleth over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. And he shall be, Second Samuel 23, 4, as the light of the morning when the sun riseth. Even a morning without clouds is the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after rain. And you have it in verse 6. He shall come down like rain upon the mown grass as showers that water the earth. The king will have the same effect on the world that rain has on the earth. It will cause things to grow and flourish. And he will last as long as the moon does. I mentioned that one of the reasons when we have the word forever, we want to think in terms of in perpetuity is because God has, in our understanding, clearly delineated lengthy periods of time that will come to an end. And there is a day coming, folks, when there will not be a sun or a moon any longer. 
But that is the day beyond the kingdom. That is a day that comes after the kingdom has reached its conclusion. So as long as the sun endures and as long as the moon endures, the king will be honored. The kingdom will endure. It is a righteous kingdom. It is an enduring kingdom. It is a kingdom without boundaries, verses 8 through 11. It is a global kingdom. And again, folks, a father might wish for his son to have an expansive kingdom, but it is highly unlikely that a godly man like either David or Solomon would anticipate for their own physical, fleshly son this kind of universal domination. He shall have dominion, verse number 8, also from sea to sea. Sea to sea. From the river unto the ends of the earth, they that dwell in the wilderness shall bow, down, shall bow before him, and his enemies shall lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish and the isles shall bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba shall offer gifts. Yea, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. This is a kingdom of righteousness. This is a kingdom that endures. His is a kingdom without boundaries. Probably, probably in verse number 8, sea to sea would be the Red Sea to the Mediterranean. I mean, we have to ask if David had any concept of the Atlantic or the Pacific or the Indian. Just like when we sing, right? We have our song from sea to shining sea. We're talking about the Atlantic and the Pacific. But it will be a reign without boundaries and it will again extend into the remotest regions of the earth. He will not just be the king of the cities, he will be the king of the deserts. He will not just be the king of the continents, he will be the king of the islands. He will not just be the king of the Jews, he will be the king of the nations. Tarshish is somewhere west of Israel. This is the spot where Jonah was heading when he ran away from God. The word isles there refers to coasts, shores and boundaries. Sheba is an Arabian kingdom and Seba is an Ethiopian kingdom. All the kings, all the nations, all the people they will all come and worship a singular king. His is a kingdom that endures. His is a kingdom of righteousness. His is a kingdom without boundaries. Verses 12 and 14, his is a kingdom of mercy. Now we know that he will rule with a rod of iron. But we should always remember, folks, that not everybody needs to be ruled with a rod of iron. A rod of iron is what you use on the unwilling and the non-compliant. It is not the way you rule the righteous. Verse number 12, For he shall deliver the needy when he crieth, the poor also, and him that hath no helper. He shall spare the poor and needy and shall save the souls of the needy. 
He shall redeem their soul from deceit and violence, and precious shall their blood be in his sight. His will be a reign of mercy. Who does he help? In righteousness. The needy, the poor, and those without helpers. I This is maybe a, I don't know if it's an appropriate time. I had something that never happened a couple of weeks ago. The phone rang on a Friday morning, and usually if it's Monday through Thursday, Kelly answers the phone, but I, she's not here on Friday. I answered the phone, and it was somebody that was looking for a gas voucher. said, hey, I wonder if, you've, if you have any gas vouchers that you give. My boyfriend needs to come to Omaha to testify against the man that shot him. Well, that's new. That's a new twist. Usually your car's broken down and you need help getting from one place to another. And although I didn't get into this with them because my experience has been that conversations with people who call like that are fruitless conversations, I just thought, if Douglas County, Nebraska really needed you to testify in an attempted murder trial, I'm pretty sure they'd get you here without my money. Notice who the Lord helps. Those who are really needy, those who are really poor, those who really have no help. Because again, folks, the overarching dimension of his kingdom is righteousness. He's nobody's fool. And notice how he helps them. He will deliver them. He will spare them, which has the idea of being very tender towards them. He will redeem them. He will recover them from both deceit and violence. And again, folks, these words are empty and meaningless if there is no true righteousness. Politicians have been promising to help and deliver people for generations. We used to have a man in the church, a good man. He worked, I hope he doesn't mind me telling this if he would ever hear this sermon. He worked for a number of years for the Omaha Housing Authority. And he said, we had a wall, a bragging wall of our success stories. Of people who had come in through Omaha Housing Authority in a time of need, had been provided assistance, and were able to get themselves on their feet and move on and no longer need the assistance of the Omaha Housing Authority. And then he said, there's one family on it. There's one family on it. Jesus' kingdom is a kingdom that will genuinely help and genuinely operate in mercy. But it's not open the cupboards and give everything away. It's not that kind of kingdom. It's a righteous kingdom. Back to the text. His is a kingdom of righteousness. His is a kingdom that will endure. His is a kingdom without boundaries. His is a kingdom that is characterized by genuine mercy. His is a kingdom of genuine prosperity. Verses 15 and 16. And he shall live and to him shall be given the gold of Sheba. Prayer also shall be made for him continually. And daily shall he be praised. There shall be an handful of corn in the earth upon the top of the mountains. The fruit thereof shall shake like Lebanon, and they of the city shall flourish like grass of the earth. 
He will be rich, but obviously not through criminal activity. And he will be the subject of both prayers and praise. God's people will pray for their king, and God's people will praise him. In verse number 16, there shall be a handful of corn in the earth upon the top of the mountains. Crops will grow on the tops of the mountains. There will be such an abundance of harvest that it will be everywhere. This is the poetic picture that is being painted. Handful actually applies abundance, doesn't to us. A handful is that all there is. But the implication of the word is abundance. And in the cities there will be prosperity as well. They of the city shall flourish like the grass of the earth. True prosperity, folks. To jump way ahead, this is, this is one of the most, and, and actually it's not inexplicable, this is one of the most amazing parts of the millennial kingdom is that a thousand years of prosperity and safety and peace and tranquility and men will throw it all away for the thing that they really want more than anything else, sin. Satan will find no, no problem gathering a band of followers after a thousand years of prosperity. The things we all claim we want now. Right? We just want everybody to have enough. We just want all of our streets to be safe. We pay those things lip service. There is a day when they are coming. So his is a reign of righteousness and his will be a kingdom that endures and his is a kingdom without boundaries and a kingdom of true mercy and a kingdom of true prosperity. And for that reason, verses 17 through 19, it will be truly celebrated by those who love him. His name shall endure forever. His name shall be continued as long as the sun And men shall be blessed in him. All nations shall call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only doeth wondrous things. And blessed be his glorious name forever. And let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Verse number 17, folks, is very descriptive. This is what is going to happen. This is what's going to happen. His name will endure forever as long as the sun. And men will be blessed in him, and all nations will call him blessed. And verses 18 and 19 are testimonial. This is what the author says, Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only doeth wondrous things. This is, these are the words of David about his God. And blessed be his glorious name forever, and here is his advice, or here is his Declaration, let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Only God does this kind of thing, folks. These are things without distinction. They have never existed in the history of the world. They have never existed in the history of the world. Nothing like this has ever been seen. God alone does these kind of wonderful works. Let the earth be filled with his glory. So what begins as a prayer in verse number one concludes with an assertion of facts. Glorious, wonderful 
facts. This is what we anticipate as God's people. A kingdom of righteousness that endures, that has no boundaries, that is peaceful and prosperous and merciful and righteous, that is celebrated by God's good people. So let me just suggest to you four appropriate responses on our part. Number one, we should pray for those that we love. We should pray for everybody, actually. That they possess the attributes of godliness. Not pray that they be like us, but pray that they be like God. We should pray that those who lead us do the same. We should pray for those of our leaders to be those kinds of people. We should pray that his kingdom would come and that the earth would be filled with his glory. These are the kind of things that God's people have prayed for. I'm assuming you pray for them now. We, right? When the disciples said, teach us to pray, he said, okay, here's one of the things you should pray for, that my kingdom would come. And then we should praise him. We should praise him privately. Blessed be the Lord. Only does wondrous things. Let's pray together this morning. God, all that we claim to want, to be happy, to be safe, to be fulfilled, to be prosperous, come only from you. They come only from a righteous God. We pray then that your kingdom would come, that true righteousness would rule right now. We pray for those who lead us politically, economically, that they would pursue true righteousness. We pray that you would confound their purposes if they won't. We pray for the king to come. We pray that we would love righteousness and that we would love you. We bless your glorious name. Thank you. Thank you, God, that you have saved us. That we are your people. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.